Hi, this is Cassandra Lee Morris, and you're listening to the Annie Monday Podcast. Please enjoy your weekly dose of random anime. Welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name's Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Previously, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and we were flushed into a world called Kyo Karamao. This began as a light novel series that started in 2000 and is still ongoing, and it was followed by a 117-episode anime series that aired between 2004 and 2009. And there was also a manga adaptation in 2005, which is still going as well. In addition, there were a few other minor properties based on Kiyokaramao, such as a game for the PlayStation 2 in 2006, and a musical stage performance in 2013 called Kiyokaramao Birth of the Mao and we watched the first four episodes of the anime series. Kayla, would you like to give us a synopsis? For the first 15 years of his life, Yuri Shibuya believed he was like any other high school student. When he is accidentally transported to another world and finds himself at the center of a global conflict, Yuri must balance his normal student life on Earth and his destiny to become the Demon King. So, uh, talking a little bit about Yuri, uh, in the very first episode, we see him kind of getting in the middle of a altercation between one of his classmates and some bullies. And one thing I love about this scene is how he kind of stands there for a good 30 seconds to a minute, just kind of thinking about if he's going to intervene or not. Yeah, he's kind of debating like, well, he's not really a good friend and I, we don't really like hang out or anything anymore. And I don't really know if I want to get in this uh-huh. fight. <laughs> Which sets up a great character who's really selfish and, like, has good intentions but isn't necessarily willing to put himself at risk. And that's super not the character that he turns into for the rest of this series. Yeah. If you've ever seen, like, a TV show that has a pilot that is radically different than the rest of the show, that's what this first episode kind of felt like. They were kind of setting a certain tone with the characters in the first episode that did not carry through to the other three episodes that we watched. Additionally, like, he doesn't even decide to intervene. The other kid who is getting bullied sees him over their shoulders and is like, uh, hey, you gonna help me out here? And the bullies kind of focus their attention on Yuri instead. And the other kid just bolts. Yeah. <laughs> And again, like that could be a tipping point for this selfish character being like, well, see what happens when you try to help other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. They abandon you, they turn on you, and you get in trouble for it. But this scene that they like set the character up with doesn't affect him whatsoever. No, pretty rapidly he becomes wrapped up in his own self-righteousness. And... His understanding of what is right and good in the world is 
directly contrasted by the characters around him. And so it's him proving that he's right all the time. Yes, which I do find is a pretty common isekai trope. And we'll probably see a lot of this anytime we roll one of these kinds of shows. But what this scene does do is that it sets up the initial plot. And I think they kind of poorly integrated the plot that they were trying to push forward with a setup for the character and who he is as a person. Um, But what happens after this scene is that the bullies push him into a bathroom and shove his face in a toilet. And then... The swirly magically transports him to another world. Yeah, and this place that he appears in uh, is unfamiliar to him. Uh, It's very mountainous and kind of... uh, It's just a very natural sort of environment compared to the city he just came from. And he quickly encounters people when he first arrives there. This starts a personality trait in Yuri that I super hate, which is he very rapidly adopts and abandons his worldviews. So when he encounters this whole new world, in order to rationalize it, decides that he must be in some amusement park or something. I think probably more accurately, he thinks he's in like a Renaissance festival kind of thing, you know? Right, right. Um, Something that's olden times where there's actors who take their roles really seriously and he thinks he's somehow transported there. Yeah, and to the point that these people are speaking gibberish, to his ears at least, and within the first few minutes of him arriving in this place, uh, they introduce yet another trope, which is the universal translator, Mm -hmm. uh, because he encounters like these kind of peasants and they are not speaking his language. And then this other guy rolls up on a horse who is clearly some kind of military person or a leader of some sort. And this guy just like grabs him by the face and goes language now (laughs) yeah and then as though he magically forgotten that some dude just squeezed the mess out of his head he's like oh everybody speaks Japanese and are you from Japan because your Japanese is so good yeah again quickly bouncing between his weird ideas of what is happening to him between you're all foreigners and I'm in the Alps or I'm at a renaissance festival And you're all just actors. And it literally takes him the entire episode. And I still don't think he quite understands what people are literally directly telling him. Which is, you are not on Earth. This isn't Japan. It's not a Renaissance festival. (laughs) We are not currently speaking Japanese. We're just translating some way magically. And he just doesn't get it. I think at least a few episodes in he gets it. But again, it's part of that like adopting and abandoning beliefs. So he very quickly decides, oh, this is the world that I'm in now. So I'm going to, you know, take my role in it and I'm going to be a part of it. And he just very quickly tries to justify things and and then quickly abandons them. And this is all done through dialogue. Uh, Now, the first people he meets when he arrives in the other world are humans, as we find out. 
which are pretty visually indistinguishable from the rest of the inhabitants of this world. But they immediately recognize who he is because of his dark hair and the fact that he's wearing black clothes. Basically the fact that he's any other Japanese student. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's like, uh, this is extremely common where I'm from. Mm -hmm. When they do recognize him, they start shouting like, oh, the Demon King is here and he's going to kill us. And Yuri being the confused idiot that he is, uh, just blabbers through the whole thing. And then suddenly this other group just kind of rolls up on the scene for no apparent reason. And they are part of the demon tribe. Which are basically humans. They don't really seem to be different in any way other than just inherently knowing that they're demons. Because it doesn't really seem super clear if magical abilities have anything to do with being a demon. Like some demons don't have magical abilities, but they're still demons. It's unclear. They pretty quickly bring up the idea that magic is real in this world, but they have pretty limited use for it. Um, it's basically only practical as a combat kind of skill, and they, they master an, an element of some sort. And I do remember at some point they mention like, well, the humans had hired or brought in some sort of magic Fire users to, mm -hmm. to burn down this place. Mm -hmm. So it does seem like they both have access to magic. Yeah. So the distinction between the humans and the demons is incredibly superficial. Which I think is part of the point of the show is that these humans and, and the, the members of the demon tribe are constantly at odds. But they're, they're not so different. And Yuri's the one that can see that as the outsider to both. Um, that seems to be the direction that they're going in. This goes back and forth between being extremely heavy-handed and then being completely abandoned. Yeah, it pretty much seems like Yuri's entire purpose in this show is that once he arrives in the other world, these demon people are telling him, yeah, you're actually from here. Basically, and we just kind of put you on Earth for a bit. Like his soul was created, made, born, uh -huh. something. The soul was in the other world and then put into a human. Well, wasn't a human baby. It was a pregnant woman. A pregnant woman then birthed Yuri and he was raised in the Earth world. Yeah, and his mom is somewhat aware of this. Well, because she married a demon? We It's like... Yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah. Apparently there's demons also on Earth. Right. Because um, one of the things that we learned pretty soon is that Conrad, who is one of the like generals of the demon army and ends up being a personal like bodyguard for Yuri, was also present during his birth. He's the one that carried across the soul in order to keep it safe from impending war. Uh -huh. There's a lot happening. <laughs> and casually suggested the name Yori. Because it means July. In their weird demon language. Yep. 
which is very confusing because Yuri also means things in Japanese. Yeah. One thing I want to mention about this world and Earth is that somehow it's connected through water. At first, it seems like, oh, weird that this magical toilet sends him to this other world. No, I don't know if it's any time he comes into con- Well, it doesn't seem any time he comes into contact because he does take a bath. <laughs> he and does, he doesn't. Yeah, he does bathe. But randomly, then, when he comes into contact with water, which seems very burdensome, he will be transported to one of these worlds, either this world that has the demon tribe in it or his modern-day Earth world. And he doesn't really seem to have much control, but other people seem to have control over when they can travel between the worlds. But it seems to be through water. Yeah, and as a result, something that the show just kind of expects of us as the viewer is that we accept that he might be in one of those worlds for a long period of time and is able to just continue on doing what he would be doing in that world. And then when he gets to the other place is also just doing the things that he was doing before. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be much of a time lapse. It's also unclear if it's a bodily thing, because when he comes back to Earth, people are standing over him being like, oh my gosh, we hope you're okay. It's like, did he just, did they watch him like shoot out of the toilet again? It's again, unclear. And kind of related to that, before we maybe talk about some of the other characters, uh, one one thing that I really noted about the way that the anime is produced is that there is a whole lot of incongruity between the episodes. The kind of blank space between uh, when one episode ends and the other begins, there's a lot of blank space there that the show is not interested in filling us in on, and it takes some kind of wild leaps, even in the few that we've seen so far. Yeah, I think the most notable example is when Yuri returns to Earth, something that Yuri had been wanting to do before he got sucked into the demon world was play baseball, because I guess he gave it up before he entered into high school. And then when he comes back to Earth, episode ends, a new episode begins, and he is suddenly the captain of the baseball team. Not the baseball team. He has created his own baseball team. Oh, okay. And gathered people to play on it and found opponents. And it seems like it's only been a week or so because he's still... They seem to indicate he's still early in his high school career. And all of this is just accepted, like, from the start of the episode, as if that's what we should have seen coming. Yeah. Uh, And likewise, in one of the first episodes... Yuri gets in a fight with this other guy and ends up using his magic for the first time Mm -hmm. when he kind of discovers that he has access to water elements, which is probably related to why he travels between the water. He travels with water. Mm -hmm. As soon as that episode ends, he like goes unconscious because he, you know, hasn't experienced using this power before. Next episode starts. He is on a horse now. And he is riding off into battle, and nobody mentions his uh, powers or any of that until halfway through the episode. And then he's like, wait, I did what now? Yeah, he has no memory. And they just told him, like, oh, by the way, you were, like, in a coma for three days. 
but three days has not passed on Earth time. The rules are really messy in this show. We've talked a little bit about Conrad and about Yuri's mom and a few other kind of minor characters, but are there any other characters we've met that you want to talk about? Yes. Uh, one of the characters we meet right after Conrad is Gunther. Um, I don't know if that's how you say it. It feels like it should be German, so I'm going to do that. And really all that I have to say is he doesn't have much of a personality. Um, his entire self is just about being a presence. And that is his personality, is the fact that he has so much presence in every scene that he's in. Um, he draws a lot of attention to himself. Um, he actually reminds me of a character from Fruits Basket. Um, Ayame, I think is the character. He plays the the snake of the Zodiac. Um, and he's just kind of, um, like a little self-indulgent and he's just got a lot of flair about him. And the thing that I love is his English voice actor is Sam Regal and, Sam is this kind of person, like, in his own life, at least from what I've, I've seen. And he fits this role really well. At, at first, I was just kind of hearing Sam um, because he basically only does his own voice. Um, but the more I was listening to it, the more I was like, yes, this is exactly who you were designed to play. This is This is the perfect character for you, you know, that he can be kind of whiny but but mostly he's just yeah self-indulgence the best way i can describe him but still constantly doting on yuri yeah um, as like an attendant of some sort Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know exactly what his role is but even like when yuri is on a horse off to war uh this guy is running around the palace like where is he where'd you go (laughs) yeah you can tell he is uh, a deep affection for Yuri, sometimes bordering on a like a boy's love kind of thing. He very frequently gets embarrassed by Yuri and some of his hijinks. Yeah, and speaking of uh, the other character that I wanted to mention real quick is Wolfram, who is part of this like noble family who uh, is in leadership among the demons, and. At one point, I think it's like the day after Yuri first arrives in this world, they're having a dinner party to celebrate the arrival. And at some point, Wolfram being this kind of snooty, like uh, typical noble prince sort of character and is, is not thrilled about this guy who shows up on the scene having been away from this world his entire life and is now being told that he's going to be the ruler of this place, insults Yuri's mom during this dinner party. Uh, I guess just because she's human is about it. And so Yuri gets real mad at this and slaps him in the face. And then all the characters at the table, like, gasp uh, because... With this act, he has proposed marriage on Wolfram. <laughs> Which is treated like a binding contract. Right. That Wolfram can't... Yeah, no, well, there isn't like a, yes, I accept your proposal of yeah. slapping me. Yeah. Or a mutual slap back, I don't know. Yeah. Which, obviously, stupid. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a bad proposal. (laughs) Uh, But I do like that in this scene, they kind of play up how stupid that is. Again, I think that's feeding into this idea that when he shows up in this demon world, everything is so ridiculous that he, as the all-powerful main character, has no choice but to force his will on everyone because they're being stupid. (laughs) And so they they play up that stupidity in this scene when Wolfram throws a knife on the ground and Yuri picks it up and everyone gasps again and goes, you just accepted his duel. To be fair, I feel like at one point in life, there was something about gloves Like if you took your glove off and threw it on the ground and somebody picked it up, you were challenging a duel and accepting a duel. So, (laughs) I mean, yes, uh, but why the knife? I don't know. It also seems like after just finding out that he had proposed marriage, that he should not do anything else, anything that any other character was causing. What's interesting to me is that this never gets resolved. They're still engaged. And that seems strange to me. Well, especially considering once the duel does take place, Wolfram does like seriously try to kill Yuri, and Yuri turns into his like angry demon version and summons massive water from the sky and, you know, completely crushes him in this duel. And then, you know, spares him because he's the nice guy. Mm-hmm. Also because he passed out. Mm-hmm. And after this, Wolfram is still real mad at him and doesn't want any of this to happen. So, yeah, but I think... he respects him. I get, so he's nah, going to go sure. through with the engagement. That is the only reasoning I can see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless, like you said, it is this weird force thing. I don't... With him being the future Demon King, maybe. Maybe. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the show. All right, Kayla, would you like to kick off our discussion on the production elements for the show? There's something that we've talked about before in other animes that I think is important to talk about here, and that is the difficulty of drawing horses. Um, This show features a lot of horses because it's kind of set in this medieval sort of time. A lot of people are on horseback. And while the horses themselves, when stationary, look fine. They look like horses. They really struggle with a lot of the animation. There's a lot of repeating animations that are pretty obvious when you see them. But a lot of times when the characters are talking, the horses are completely still. And it's super weird. And I think that is a pretty good idea of how a lot of this show feels is that if something's moving it looks okay not great but okay and if it's standing still it looks completely flat and I found that to be true about 
a lot of the show. With something like that being so notoriously difficult, it's hard to fault them for wanting to introduce something like that, especially if the original series heavily featured something like a horse. And I think it speaks well of them that they don't utilize them in ways that are impossibly difficult, like a lot of these shows we would see huge battle sequences with just dozens and dozens of horses. In this case, it's usually just one or two kind of riding in a group together. In fact, uh, there is another creature that is in this show that we haven't talked about yet, which is largely unexplained, but there are these bone creatures, mm -hmm. and they're basically human skeletons, but they also have wings. Like bat wings. And they kind of fly around and follow the demon tribe in whatever they're doing. They're almost like pets. Yeah, they they seem to be functionally just kind of protectors, and they m have some form of communication between them that the characters have mentioned before, but otherwise they just kind of make like rattling noises. Which is easily some of the best noises in this show, are the noises that mm -hmm. their jaws make when... Yeah, when it's, it's a good sound effect. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid you don't understand. If you put all the parts back together, it'll be able to fly again. What? You mean it's not dead? It's like a model at a Halloween party? <laughs> Guess you learn something new every day. But even those things, they, they don't move that much. The wings don't, like, flap when they're being animated. They just kind of float along. Yeah, they're, they look like they're just constantly gliding. So they just haven't gone to extreme lengths to delicately animate all the non-human kind of characters in this show. Or non-humanoid, I should say, because one thing that we briefly mentioned is that in terms of character designs, the humans and the demons are basically indistinguishable. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any reason to think that there's any noticeable marker to differentiate. And they say as much in the show. And But at the same time, every character pretty much has indicated that they can tell the difference somehow. Which is beyond weird. I guess I'm looking for some sort of genetic, physical marker to differentiate them. Because it seems like instinctually anyone can look at a demon or a human and know, oh, you're a demon. Oh, you're a human. Yeah, the, the only one they've even really tried to distinguish is Yuri, because they've, they've said that he, as the Demon King, is going to be dark hair, wears black clothes. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, maybe there's a higher percentage of the demons who have, like, crazy hair colors, and most of the humans we've seen are just kind of, like, brown-haired, normal-looking kind of people. Mm-hmm. But I chalk that up to being just, these are the characters you're supposed to know and recognize right. versus all the other people you don't care about. Right. Yeah, when it comes to character designs of this show, a lot of emphasis is put on differentiating the multiple male characters that there are and making sure that they all are distinguishable and then everyone else is just sort of... They just sort of exist. And so there's kind of not quite that copy and paste that you can sometimes see. 
but insert generic looking person here. Uh, the overall quality of the show is is fine. Um, we've talked about this era of animation before, early 2000s kind of stuff. Uh, the production studio is called Studio Dean, which uh, I'm not super familiar with. Uh, looking through their history, there are a handful of titles that I recognize or have seen. Notably, uh, they co-produced DNA Squared, which we talked about last week. <laughs> Uh, they also did the original Fruits Basket and the original Fate Stay Night before UFO Table took over. Mm -hmm. And other than that, a lot of properties that I haven't really seen. Yeah, this studio isn't one that I'm particularly familiar with. I think they are also responsible for Konosuba, which is a, a modern isekai. So maybe <laughs> maybe that's just all they do or something. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, one other thing that I particularly found frustrating with this show when it came to the animation was um, they really seemed to struggle with perspectives. Um, there were several times, especially when it came to the horses, where I can't tell if they were trying to give the illusion of depth, but did not do that well, um, where people should have been like even in height, and they very clearly weren't. There were just several occasions where it was very noticeable that the height of certain characters or the way that they should have been looking at each other should have been at a certain perspective, and it was not. And there was a really long scene, I think it was in episode three, that these three characters are all on horses, all full-grown horses. They're all on the same road, and yet they have three distinct heights. And the largest of the characters is noticeably shorter than the others. And it's hard to tell whether the character is supposed to be far away and that's why he seems like he's shorter or what. But because of the way that the animators drew things, I, I could not tell because it all looked like they were supposed to be right next to each other. And yet they're totally yeah. different. Yeah. And even more telling than the heights of the characters was that presumably the horses were kind of nose and nose because they were talking directly to each other. Mm -hmm. And so these characters and the horses would have been side by side. And yet the depth of field indicated that the left side horse was out of focus and the right horse was in focus, mm -hmm. but the riders of both horses were also in focus. Yeah. And so the perspective on that scene uh, physically, there's not a there's not a camera that does that. No. And so it was clear that there were a lot of details that were overlooked. And especially in a scene like that that lingered for quite a while, like you said, it's extremely noticeable when those big mistakes are present. Yeah, and it was just something that I kept getting frustrated with the episode. And I was just like, when is somebody going to correct this? And they would even switch angles, and it would still be incorrect. And so it felt like one really weird scene that just did not make sense in the physical world. I don't have anything uh, particular to talk about with the music. It was kind of uh, the same things we usually talk about. Uh, was there anything you noted about the music in this show? There's only 
one small thing that I noted, and I just found this, like, really amusing. This started in, I think it was episode two, where we get introduced to the current demon queen, and she comes on the scene. She interrupts Yuri in his bath, and to really set the tone of this woman, they just overlay this scene with this saxophone music and it's supposed to be this really you know like sensual sort of saxophone and I love that they like carried that through with her for quite a lot of time when we were introduced to her then and then later when she comes back as they bring the saxophone back for her and it kind of felt like a character theme with her and I thought that was such a good choice it's not something you hear a lot in anime is a saxophone um but it was something that I found so amusing and I was I was just kind of tickled by their choice with this character to give her this kind of saxophone line jumping in a little bit on our overall thoughts for the show and our likes and dislikes uh, I thought I would mention just kind of the isekai genre as a whole and This is actually something we've only had maybe like one or two of these before. Most notably, Master of Ragnarok and Blister (laughs) of Einherjar. Thanks again, Michael. Which, uh, this show is not that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That show is pretty much universally panned by fans and non-fans alike. And it's kind of interesting to watch one of these where Isekai wasn't even really in the lexicon And so this genre wasn't really defined to the point that it is today. And so you can see all of these tropes kind of surfacing on on occasion. Um, But just to know that this might be the source of some of them is kind of funny to think about. Mm. And um, I thought overall, compared to some of the genre, some of these concepts are well considered. And they're not the just cheesy excuse to do like a harem thing that is pretty frequent as well today. But this show does have one of the things about Isekai that I super dislike, which is that the moment the protagonist rolls up on the scene and arrives in the alternate universe and discovers that he has some sort of ability or some power that is greater than all the other people of this universe is that he decides he wants to immediately change everything, and he's going to be the savior to show up and make sense of their stupidity, having spent mere minutes in this world. Uh, And I think we talked a little bit about that in our character kind of stuff, but in this case, it's really overblown because, like we had talked about, the problems that this world is facing are so childish that it makes it seem obvious that this character would show up and make these kinds of sweeping decisions because it's basically a race war with these two people who are basically identical. And so it's it's kind of easing us into this idea that, oh, obviously it makes sense that he's going to make all these changes because he's super powerful and he's way smarter than all these dumb people. But I think as a concept, it's really, really weak and not particularly something 
that I'm interested in watching this protagonist on his weird power trip. To see this character come in and and try to change the world, um, I think just ends up being really heavy-handed, like you said. And, And the fact that he's not really overcoming anything... Um, it's kind of set up in that way to be like, ah, he he has to, um, you know, save this world. But when you look at it from our perspective, we'd be like, well, I mean, that's what anyone would do in this circumstance. Like if somebody was given a position of power and said, this is your kingdom, do with it as you will. But hey, we're going to try and start a war with people that look just like us, but they're different. So we want to kill them. The natural response, I feel, would be, no, you're not going to do that. And so you're right. The stakes for the show are meaningless. I, I don't find myself rooting for him so much as saying, well, yeah, duh. Like, duh, that's that's the thing to do. And I think that's what's so frustrating about this show is that it doesn't feel like there's anything that he's actually accomplishing Yeah, and and unfortunately, because this show is so long and there are so many episodes, I can't imagine how long they managed to drag that out. But if that is the setup for the show as a whole, then I think it's going to get real old real fast, and it's going to be really hard to keep chugging through this kind of show if the whole conceit is these people are ridiculous for being in this conflict at all and this guy this stupid kid is going to change everything and make it just like the other world so that that part of it is really disappointing to me something that i found particularly egregious about this show is the script for it we haven't really gotten to talk about how everything is explained in the show But essentially, nothing is really shown to us. Everything is just explained. And there is constantly somebody talking. And usually, it's at least two people talking. There's kind of an ensemble cast here. And they're frequently interacting with one another. And so everything that is shown in the show is actually talked about. So we wouldn't know that there were humans or demons or that they were distinguishable in any way if they hadn't told us that they're distinguishable in some way that we can't see. There's so many rules to this world that we would never know about because they're not shown, but they're talked about. And usually what ends up happening is that somebody will explain some part of the world. Everything that's explained is either reinforced by some behavior that Yuri does or broken because he's, you know, the typical isekai character. But I found it really frustrating that there's not really any silence in the show. And there's multiple times when Yuri is getting upset about something and the music will change so that you can tell that this is a really tender moment. But the script forces us to bypass that emotional moment because people are just talking right through it. And then it shifts gears to whatever 
the next part of the scene is. And I I just find it so irritating that everyone is talking all of the time, explaining every tiny little thing that's going on, every thought that they have, every action that they're taking. Somebody is saying something. And I think that's really poor script writing is to not allow any space for silence and everything feels weaker because of it. Any scene that's supposed to be emotional, they're not showing me that's it, that it's emotional. They're telling me. And that just feels so, so much weaker than what it could have been. And I found it really hard to believe really any of the emotions in the show because they're just blown right past. Yeah, this show seems like a prime example of the tell-don't-show problem that we see with a whole lot of anime, especially within this kind of genre. And that's unfortunate because this could have, back in its day, set a good precedent for this kind of show. And unfortunately, I think it's so filled with that meaningless dialogue that it didn't have time to show anything interesting. With all the things that we've talked about, Colin, would you watch more of this show? I would not. And I'm not sure that I have much to add besides what we've already talked about. But let's just say that this did not do much to strengthen my interest in isekai as a genre <laughs> or the early to mid-2000s as a, <laughs> as a decade. I'm going to agree that no, I won't watch more of this show. I can't really say that I found anything particularly redeeming about this show. And I agree. It reminds me of all the things I don't like about isekais. And it doesn't show me anything worth investing in. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our discussions for today. Thank you all for joining us. We had a good time. Did we? Mostly. <laughs> the talking part, sure. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at animonday.moe. That's animonday.moe. If you have any questions or comments, you can send it to podcast at animonday.moe. And you can find us on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Our username is animondaycast. And you can find links for that on our website. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the random button which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, you can find a link to the current title on our website and social media, and you can watch what we're watching. Finally, thanks to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show, which come from the Senpai EPs, available on his Bandcamp and other places you might find music. Alright, are you ready to roll? I'm ready. Random button in three, two, one. All right, and the anime for this week is called Big Order. And the first episode is called Order, Awaken Evil Powers. Sadly, it's not about fast food, which is kind of what I was hoping it was going to be about. <laughs> yeah, it seems like all the episodes have the name Order in them. Well, all right. We'll see. Okay. We'll see you all next week. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
dragon's move, buddy. Ooh. Why do I have to be closer to the door? Mr. Spider, you can't be part of our recording. Here you go. Goodbye, Spider. It was nice having you on the show.